If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hello, Freak family. It is Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth get set for the traditional casting of the pods. This is the Box of Oddities. It's a podcast where we talk about odd things and also sometimes other things. I don't know. I'm just getting a lot of shit about my calendars episode. Like, yeah, that's not an oddity. You know what? I didn't ask you. You didn't get a lot of shit about it. A couple of people said, hey, uh, that's not real odd. But, you know, in a way it was because you were talking about the unusual history of of the calendar. Uh-huh. Now, when you say I listened to a podcast this morning about calendars, I get it. Yeah, it doesn't sound riveting. <laughs> anyway, yeah. super excited about uh, our upcoming live show. Just found out that uh, one of our friends who is going actually has an extra VIP ticket. Oh. So we're going to host an arm wrestling competition nice. to see who gets it. All right. Are we, are we going to do that, what, outside on the sidewalk before the show? Yeah, or? I think. No, I was thinking uh, we do it here in the snow. In the snow? Yeah. Up here in northern. Oh, you know, in the snow. In the northern Maine. Get us some puts in and uh, have a wrestling competition, you know. Should we give it away? I mean, we do have an extra ticket. How? how I, I'd hate for it to go to waste. I don't think it'll go to waste. It's fine. All right. Okay. Any hoozle. Have you read Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Yes. You have. Have you seen any of the movies? No, and I won't. Thank you. What? Not even the classic Boris Karloff? They're the saddest films ever made. I made it about, I think I made it about halfway through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, the book? And you just... No, the, the movie. Oh. In, um, Who was in that one? I don't remember. It was the mid-90s, I yeah, think. Yeah. And uh, I cried and cried and cried and eventually turned it off. It's... It's the Iron Giant of the monster world. <laughs> uh-huh. I can't handle it. Okay. Same reason I won't ever watch Godzilla or King Kong. They're just trying to be themselves. And the last unicorn. Oh, God. Just the music brings Cat to tears. 
Well, when Mary Shelley was asked what inspired her to write Frankenstein, the the common story was she said that she uh, wrote the book in a frantic waking dream, that something came over her, almost like automatic writing. It was beyond her control. Mm -hmm. And that makes for a great story, but that's probably not what happened. What often gets forgotten is that uh, she and her friends had spent the night talking about galvanic reanimation. Oh. Galvanic reanimation was discovered by Luigi Galvani in the late 1700s. That's what all us girls spend the nights talking about. Get a couple of glasses of wine in us. Can't stop us from yapping about that reanimation. Luigi Galvani was uh, responsible for some of the early experiments that combined biology with the early science of electricity. Mm Mm-hmm. These were the very early days when they were discovering how to harness electricity, of course, like 1780. It's pretty early on. Right. Flying kites, killing elephants. Yep. Electrifying keys. Sure. And so his experiments were limited to uh, putting little electrodes on frogs' legs and hooking them up to battery piles and making the legs twitch. Now, his nephew, Giovanni Aldini, was uh, assisting him during this uh, time period. He was fascinated with this. As uh, Luigi got up there in years and eventually passed away, um, Giovanni Aldini uh, pretty much took over those studies, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't content with just frog legs. He started again with frog legs, but then he started moving into uh, small animals, Mm -hmm. rodents, cats, dogs, Mm -hmm. oxen. He would take an ox head and wire it up and hook it up to electrodes and get those types of uh, spasmodic responses that that, uh, his uncle had achieved with a frog's legs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people look back at his motive and, and they say that he was trying to reanimate the dead. That's really not true. He was just trying to find out why this happened, why electricity made muscles spasm and contort. Yeah. Or he was just a weirdo. I think you have to be a little weird to do some of these things. Mm. One eyewitness reported that Aldini had cut off the head of a dead dog and hooked it up to the batteries and the jaws would open and the teeth would chatter and the eyes would roll in its socket. And these types of um, demonstrations became kind of a form of entertainment for the time. He would do these exhibitions with animal carcasses and people would flock to the demonstrations. So upsetting. The things that people have gone to the public square for for entertainment blows my mind. Guys, get a coloring book. Try ice skating. Pottery wheel. Give it a go. Maybe you can make some extra income with your new hobby. Don't, you know, it just... What you're saying is basically, instead of going to public executions and uh, displays of uh, galvanization, Mm -hmm. uh, take up scrapbooking. So many other options. I'm pulling information from The Guardian, allthatsinteresting.com, and Corrosion Doctors. Okay. For the most part, Aldini was successful with these slightly larger animal experiments. Uh, The impulses caused the animals' heads to shake and their eyes, of course, to roll. Their tongues would uh, stick out of their mouths. And that's what began the rumor that he was trying to raise the dead with electricity. Got it. Because the people who had come to witness this morbid curiosity, Mm -hmm. what would be the ultimate payoff would be for the cow to get up and walk away. 
Right. And probably these people don't have, you know, a scientific background. They're just regular old town folk. Yeah. Dummies coming in to, to watch the weird thing. The villagers. Yeah. And... Uh, and they're just getting roped up in this and be like, oh, he must be blah. And so often it's dummies who make assumptions, who talk the most and uh, spread lies. Well, that's true. We see that today. Hey. So before long, attending one of these gruesome performances became all the rage. Uh, apparently, the people were camping out for tickets and scalping them online. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't have onlineness back then, but if they did, they would probably scalp. Well, they didn't have tickets either. But if they had the internet and they had tickets, they mm-hmm. would have been scalping them online. Sure. But after this, Aldini grew pretty bored with the experiments. I mean, how many times can you electrify a goat head? If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. (laughs) He felt that the next logical step would be human bodies. Sure. Of course. Yeah. That would be the natural progression. So in the early 1800s, he got a hold of a dead body that had been beheaded. He just simply headed over to Piazza Maggiore. And waited for the executioner to swing the axe. And uh, he grabbed the, the head and the body and he... Hey, uh, can I could I get that? It's like in Maine, if you hit a deer. Yeah. Yeah, you can keep it. Neighbors will fight over it. Over roadkill, yeah. essentially. There was a nice man who helped me once when I hit a deer. And uh, he came running to my aid because he could hear me screaming and uh, had to put the deer out of its misery, uh, sat me down in front of the television with his children uh, while he went to do that. And then uh, he was like, so are you going to are you going to take this with you? And I was like, <laughs> dude, look, look at my face right now. <laughs> I am puffy and swollen with tears. Well, we have a friend who is a, uh, a main humorist. His name is Tim Sample. And he talks about a situation where he was one time he was riding his Harley and he hit a deer on his Harley Oh goodness! and it was early in the morning and he was okay. The deer wasn't, and he was sitting there on the side of the road waiting for the police to show up. And a local lobsterman comes by in his pickup truck and rolls the window down. Like you okay there, Timmy. And uh, Tim said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. What, what you going to do with that deer? I could, uh, Certainly carry a box of lobsters on the back of my <laughs> motorcycle easier yeah. than a dead deer. Yeah. Ah, ah. Ah. Main ingenuity. That's right. So Aldini went to Piazza Maggiore and said, what you going to do with that corpse, Bob? And he took it, uh, took it back to his laboratory and he started performing some of his experiments on this, but he did not have the desired effect. He found out through these experiments with... Uh, decapitated bodies that because all the blood had drained out Mm -hmm. there was no conductivity yeah there was no blood to uh, conduct the electrical impulses that travel through the muscles and the nerves and you know i don't know i'm not a biology guy anyways battery was pretty much useless against a headless corpse sure good news though in england they weren't using the guillotine they were using the gallows oh and so what any self-respecting corpse-seeking scientist would do, you would move to London to get a whole corpse. Sure. You go where the work is. You go where the work is. Aldini wrote a book about all of his experiments in 1803, and that book is available. You can find it online. I found a copy of it on uh, Public Domain Archives. Ooh. And I'm going to read to you. 
just a little bit from his book. I hope he has an accent. He talks like this, Bob. I love how your main accent sounds like false teeth are just about ready to pop out of your mouth. Just over here lurking. Because my car's all stove up. Okay. In Experiment 17 in his book, he says, quote, Having observed phenomenon in the head, we proceeded to the trunk of the corpse, which gave us the results that were no less interesting. The body was sound and robust and indicated a constitution replete with vital energy. I love how they wrote back then. By forming an arc from the spinal marrow to the bicep muscle, very strong movements were produced throughout the whole body and particularly the arm, which could not be bent without very great exertion. He goes on to talk about how rigor mortis had set in, but when he hooked this guy up to a battery, he just started flailing his arms around. Sure. Now, his reasoning was he wanted to know why it's happening. Yeah. So did he think that if he kept trying it out on different bodies, frog, dog, cow, person, whatever, that eventually the answer would just appear to him? Because it seems like he just keeps trying it out. And there's really not a lot to be learned from just doing the same thing over and over again. I think he had a little bit of a sadistic nature to him. I think he was a a twisteroo, for sure. Twisteroo. Maybe it was just that he was burning up the bodies and he needed a fresh one to continue where he he left off. Because I'm guessing his lab smelled like a barbecue. Oh, yeah. He goes on to say, by again applying the arc according to the method detailed in the 41st experiment, the violence of the contractions were much increased. The trunk was thrown into strong convulsions. The shoulders were elevated in a sensible manner. And the hands were so agitated that they beat against the table, which supported the body. That must have been freaky for people checking it out. Yeah. These were local villagers. Probably the bodies that he was doing these experiments on, the people that were witnessing knew these people. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's Fred. Fred's alive again. Oh, my God. Look, he's beating the table with his dead fists. Fred is. Fred's shoulders are robust with great... I don't remember what you said. Sorry. Replete with vital energy. Replete with vital energy. (laughs) Ah, look at him go. So in January of 1803, the body of murderer George Foster was pulled from the gallows of Newgate Prison in London and uh, taken to the Royal College of Surgeons. And of course, there was an audience of doctors and curiosity seekers Giovanni Aldini prepared to return the corpse to life. At least this is what some of the spectators thought. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some that speculate that Aldini did have in the back of his mind the thought that perhaps he could bring them back to life, Mm -hmm. but he publicly would say, no, no, it's not what I'm trying to do. Right. Aldini applied conducting rods. He connected it to a large battery, which they called a pile back then, and he lit him up. And Foster's jaw began to quiver and the adjoining muscles became contorted and his left eye actually opened, according to one witness. The climax of the performance came, and I hesitate to use the word climax. Oh, no. The climax of the performance came as Aldini probed Foster's rectum with electrodes, which caused his fist to clench and punch the air as if in fury, and his legs began to kick, arching violently, just like he was alive. I would think that probably a very similar reaction. So bizarre and twisted. Now, why why isn't why is this acceptable behavior like on a public forum? Why isn't this desecrating a corpse? 
Why isn't jamming something up a corpse's butt in public and shooting electricity through him? Mm-hmm. Why is that cool? I'll tell you why. Uh-huh. In those days, people like George Foster were sentenced to death and then dissection. Uh-huh. That was part of your punishment in many cases. You were hung by the neck until dead, and then your body was sent off to the surgeon's college for dissection. Okay, so you were not worthy of a non-desecrated body. Yes. Okay. That was the extent of it. So you could, essentially, you could do anything you wanted, pretty much, in the name of science back then, including probing Forster's uh, rectum to cause him to clench his fist and punch the air as if in fury, with his legs kicking back and forth, arching violently. I just wanted to read that again. Yeah, that's upsetting. Aldini's was one of many experiments on corpses. Once he started doing that, it became that in itself, became a bit of a rage. Uh, Other, quote, galvanists were continuing his research after he uh, passed away. This doesn't sound like research to me. The thing is, it did lead to some helpful things. Certainly, electroshock therapy is controversial at best, but he was one of the first people to to do that and had some success with people who had mental illness back in the day. At least that's what the reports say, that he essentially gave some of the people the, the first electroshock therapy. His experiments also led to electrocardio paddles that shock the heart back into regular rhythm. There was another experimenter whose name was Carl August Weinhold, a German scientist who claimed to have brought animals back from the dead. He had a series of experiments with, uh, oh God, you're going to really hate this, decapitated kittens. He replaced their spinal columns with zinc and silver pile batteries, which generated an electrical charge. Their hearts would start beating again, and according to his research, would bound around the room like they were alive. Again, it's twisted. Feinhold also later proposed enforced genital infibulation for all young men. I'm not really sure what the purpose was for that. What does this mean? Hooking up electrodes to guys' balls. Just giving them a little jolt? I I guess. I'm not sure if it was for... Like... Pleasure or... Vitality? Maybe. Maybe. Boost your vitality by electrocuting your nuts? The idea uh, received far less enthusiasm than the the prancing zombie kittens did. Weird. Yeah. Yet nipple clamps are cool all day. So all of this happened... Prior to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which was written in 1818, Mm -hmm. and speculation is that she drew most of her inspiration from uh, these experiments. In fact, Aldini's father was a friend of a relative of Mary Shelley's, and so there's actually a connection there. Yeah, and it makes sense because Frankenstein was a little, let's say, task-oriented, And maybe didn't Uh take into consideration, you know, Jeff Goldblum's uh, advice just because, you know, we were so busy. Life will find a way. Life will find a way. Right. The gospel according to Jeff Goldblum. Just uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm, he was mm -hmm. just so focused on can I do it uh, that that he made this monster. A sad, sad, pathetic monster. The saddest. That makes me want to pick up uh, Frankenstein and reread it. I haven't read it for years. Oh. Yeah, it'll probably take me years to finish it. 
because you know me, I have 18 books going all at the same time. Well, I'll try to keep you on task. Thank you. Keep the the rods handy. No, no. Maybe just once. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you That Thing in the Middle. That Thing in the Middle, the most profound shower thoughts on Reddit. I love that this is a thing. (laughs) This comes from a HuffPost article. Bizarre things that people think of when they're in the shower. I come up with my weirdest ideas there. Number five. There are about 50 million kangaroos in the world and about 5 million Norwegians. So if the kangaroos decided to invade Norway, we would have to fight about 10 kangaroos each. Number four. If tents were transparent, camping would be a lot scarier. (laughs) Especially for your fellow campers. Number three. Where's Waldo would be much scarier if Waldo was the one searching for you. Number two, the first half of your life is people telling you not to do drugs. And the second half of your life is people telling you about all the drugs you need to take. (laughs) And number one, Jurassic Park would have been a successful and highly lucrative theme park if they had only cloned herbivore dinosaurs. They could still stomp you. That's true. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. You know, we both wear glasses, and uh, they're both uh, pretty cool styles, pretty cool frames. The difference is that mine cost $800. Dummy. I know. <laughs> what did you pay for yours? $95. Because you got yours from Warby Parker. That's right. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. I love that the styles that uh, that you're given to choose from, the frames, are vintage inspired. Like yours kind of look like a 60s type of, uh, of look. That's right. If you see any of the photos of us uh, that we've posted recently, you'll see me in my Warby Parker glasses. I love them so. And my favorite thing about Warby Parker is the free home try-on program because I am the worst at picturing what things might look like on my stupid face. And we should point out, too, that uh, you got your glasses from Warby Parker, what, a year ago? Maybe? Yeah, I'd say it's been about a year, yeah. Yeah, and then we found out that they were going to join our family of sponsors here in the Box of Oddities, and we're like, well, that's perfect. Thumbs up. Because you love them. So with the free home try-on program, you can order five pairs of glasses, try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. They ship free. It includes a prepaid return label. Head to warbyparker.com slash box to order your free home try-ons today. Glasses start at 95 bucks. That includes prescription lenses. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. It's just like any quality set of glasses that you might get, except they're not $800 like mine were. And they're so cute. Plus, for every pair you buy, a pair is distributed to someone in need, which we love. That's pretty great. They also have an app. You can find it on the iTunes store. But go to warbyparker.com slash box. That's W-A-R-B-Y-P-A-R-K-E-R dot com slash box. And order your free home try-ons today. Five different frames. You won't believe how good you'll look. And nothing makes you look better than saving money. Oh, wow. That was very, like copyrighty yeah like, did you write that no did i just you sit down and no i didn't anybody that listens to our podcast knows we never write anything down that's a valid point also if you have an iphone x or an iphone 10 be sure to download warby parker's app where you can use their brand new feature find your 
Fit. Find Your Fit uses the iPhone X's true depth camera to map and measure key facial features. Using these measurements, Find Your Fit recommends approximately 12 Warby Parker frames that are likely to best fit your face. The process is seamless. It only takes a few seconds. And the real hard part will be picking a pair or two or three. Yeah. How many different pairs did you get? Seven. <laughs> no, I bought two. You got two pair. I bought two pair. I'm going to do it. I like cat's frames so much better than mine, and they were far less expensive. Plus, I got to show you all of the the home try-ons and say, what do you think of these? And then I picked the one that you liked the least. That's exactly what you did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said, which one do you like? And I said, well, I like this one, I like that one, and I like that one. And and you said, I'm going to go with one of the other two that you didn't pick. WarbyParker.com slash box. Order your free home try-ons today. And you support the Box of Oddities. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. Okay, in the previous episode, when you talked about June and Jennifer Gibbons, mm-hmm. the uh, the twins, um, several people had, had written in and suggested that, and you mentioned uh, one of the people on Twitter who mentioned it. We also had a, a guy uh, send us that idea about three months ago, and he's been listening every episode to see if you do that. Oh, <laughs> And you did it, but you credited uh, the other person that uh, one of the other people that had suggested it. And so he was just a little disappointed, jokingly. So I'm sorry. I listen. I don't read all the emails. Jay does so much of that. And I do almost all of the social media stuff. So anything that's posted on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, I do that stuff. Um, But I can't. I can't read everything. It's so much, and I love it. I do, and I read as much as I can, but I also have to go to work and sometimes shower. Sometimes. Not as often. (laughs) (laughs) He said, uh, I won't stop listening, LOL, but a shout-out would feel warm and fuzzy. Just saying. So Joshua Schwab, thanks for sending that out. And then later he says that his girlfriend is the one who turned him on to uh, this podcast and uh, her name's Brittany, so I thought I'd throw her name in there, too. So now you don't have to get her anything for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Joshua. Thanks, Brittany. So what you got for me? All right. It's 1983, and 57-year-old Peter Rain Bard goes to the police. Rain Bard is a former airline official, and he went to the police to confess to murder after being confronted with a skull found about 300 yards from his cottage. So we're in England. Okay. And police thought that the skull might belong to Rainbard's estranged wife, Malika, who vanished in 1960. Wow. So, so like 23 years? That's right. Wow. Rainbard and Malika were married in 1959. They'd been virtually inseparable since their engagement four days before on the day that they met. Wow, that was a fast relationship. You working it through? Yeah. You working it through? <clears throat> yeah. Well, okay. I was distracted by the dog snortles. They met. Uh, he proposed to her two hours later. Wow. They got married four days later. Oh, my God. It happens, I guess. It, well, all right. They got married. And then in June of 1961, she was out. She came home and found that he was sharing the premises uh, with another man. Oh. And it was in a somewhat compromising position. Okay. And 
He claims that Malika attempted to extort him. Because he was having sex with a guy. Which I guess at that time was still criminalized under British law at the time. 1960? Can we just talk about how fucked that is? Yeah, it sure is. So no trace of Malika's body was ever found. And the case remained on police files as unsolved until the discovery of this skull. Rainbard contended that he could not recall how his wife had died, but... Well, it was 23 years ago. ...that he no doubt caused her death. Oh, my God. He later recanted, but it didn't matter. We'll get to that later. The jury decided also that he was responsible for her death, that he had strangled her, and they took only three hours to reach an 11-to-1 guilty verdict, and he was sentenced to life in prison. How could they determine, do you think, that she was strangled to death... When they just found a skull and it was 23 years later mm. and the forensics were 1960s forensics. Well, the well, argument, 1988, 1983 forensics. Sure. The um, I'm sure it had to do with testimony that came up during the oh, trial. Okay. Uh, the argument was that they had fought um, over money, which I'm guessing is the money that he's claiming she tried to extort from uh, him. Yeah. But let's talk about this skull. It was discovered on the 13th of May. 1983, by commercial peat cutters Andy Mould and Stephen Dooley. They were uh, putting the peat onto the conveyor belt. They noticed an unusual item, which it was similar in shape and size to a football. They took the object from the conveyor to examine it more closely, and after removing some of the adhesive remains of peat, realized that it was an incomplete preserved human head with remnants of soft tissue, brain, eye, optic nerve, and hair. It's like a bog person. Like one of them bog people. Was this a bog people? It's a bog person. So, okay, this is great. Okay, so I'm putting the pieces together here. He kills his wife Mm -hmm. because she's threatening to extort money from him because of his affair Mm -hmm. with another man. He kills her, buries her somewhere in the peat bog, they dig up an ancient head and he, he confesses. That's great. The trial was in December of 83, so that same year. And by the time the trial rolled around, carbon dating of the skull fragment had returned a date of approximately the year 250. Wow. Wow. So Rain Bard tried to revoke his confession. He was like, no, no, I'm... No. Don't dig over there, though. (laughs) He was still convicted of his wife's murder, even though no trace of her body had been found. Wow. So I guess he had a cottage that was not far from the peat bog. And there was a, um, uh, not a ditch, but a a trench Mm -hmm. that kind of led down the road from the house to the peat bog. It may have been so that road runoff went into the bog. I'm not sure. Okay. I don't understand that. You're not a bog enthusiast. I'm not a bog enthusiast. I'm not an expert. But what he had done was walk down the road and disposed of pieces of his wife. Okay. In the trench as he walked down toward the bog. So it was totally reasonable to him that her head had been recovered and... Anyway. Yeah. So. He must have been sitting there in jail going, oh, fuck, that sucks. 
So yes, it's a bog body. And uh, if you're not familiar, a bog body is a human cadaver that has been naturally mummified in a peat bog. Such bodies, sometimes known as bog people, are both geographically and chronologically widespread, having been dated between the year 8000 BCE and the Second World War. And if you look at some of these bog people, pictures of, of the bog people that they have excavated, you can see they're so well preserved in it's many cases. You can see the whiskers, the color of the whiskers on the guy's face. Like this one I'm thinking of, he had red hair and his whiskers were still red and he still had a noose around his neck. It's unbelievable how well preserved these are. We watched, uh, was it a series or a, or a special? I think it was on the Smithsonian Channel. It was like a one-off okay. about, about bog people. And I'm people. pretty sure it was called Bog Bodies. Yeah, Bog Bodies. Or Bodies of the Bog. Something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely incredible. Highly recommend. Two thumbs up all the way. And the reason that, that these bodies remain preserved for, in some cases, millennia, is because the water is low in oxygen. It's almost like... A tanning process. It takes a specific type of water and a specific type of nutrients in the water. And temperature. And temperature to uh, preserve these bodies the way that uh, that they are. And it's fascinating. It's a snapshot back into the past. It absolutely is. And the amount of information that they can pull from these bog bodies because of what remains on them, because of their remains, the, the remains of the remains. Yeah. Um, is is incredible. They've been able to discover their diets by doing DNA testing, contents of their last meal still perfectly preserved in their stomachs. Very strange. They, they think that a lot of these were ceremonial. Yeah. That they were a some sort of a, a willing sacrifice. The, the victims, if you will, in some cases, they theorize, volunteered to be killed and thrown into the bog. Anyway, you should watch the special. Yeah, it's great. Do it. So... Lindau woman is the name given to the partial remains of the female bog body that was discovered in a peat bog in um, in England on the 13th of May, 1983. By the way, most of this I'm getting from uh, UPI.com and uh, Wikipedia, of course, plus, uh, you know, watch that bog body show. <laughs> so it was the Lindau woman that cracked this case incredible that um she is the only reason that that this this murder was solved um her remains were largely a skull fragment with soft tissue and hair attached and were dated to the roman period her body is more technically known as Lindau one after another body was discovered in that same bog, which is now identified as the Lindau man or Lindau two, Lindau two. Okay. And, um, and he, her counterpart is at the most extensive bog body yet found in England. Incredible. And there are only specific bogs that these are found um, and it could be just because those conditions are just right mm. or because of the ceremonial habits of those living in those regions or a combination, or a combination of the two. Sure. I mean, it is it's an amazing experience to stare into the face of a Bronze Age person and you would be able to recognize them if you knew them when they were alive. It's one of those um, opportunities that you have where you can really feel like you're in touch. It's like when, you know, you can hold old currency yes. or yeah. um, anyway, 
it's it's terribly fascinating, of course. And um, the idea that it helped solve this cold case of 20 plus years uh, just blows my mind. It makes me so happy. And I thought it was terribly interesting. And uh, there's so much information on bog bodies in general that really we could just go over and over. But I just wanted to focus on this and this story Mm -hmm. having solved this murder because uh, that guy got screwed. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So now I can't make my mind up if I want to um, read Frankenstein or go watch The Bog Body again. Well, we're going to watch The Bog Body show. Okay. Because now that we know about this chica, um, we have to go and see if we can see her body uh, in the documentary so that we know who solved this, this case. She is like a detective. It's amazing to think that 1,800 years after she died, she played such a big part in solving... A contemporary murder. Unbelievable. I love it. That's a great story. It's not as long as maybe generally uh, I do, but it was too good not to do. I love her. We should do a deeper dive on bog bodies, though. I mean, that's, oh, absolutely. that's a, a, a great subject. Great. I'm surprised we haven't done something on that I know. before now. I want to do more bog bodies, but do them like people profiles. So like this was the people profile of the Lindau woman. Like a, a Tinder profile? No, like a like a People magazine spread, like oh. the the fifty most influential bog bodies of <laughs> twenty nineteen. Yeah. Right. Well, let's pack it in for today. The uh, box of oddities. We love you guys. You're our freak family, and uh, we're looking forward to meeting those of you who will join us in Nashville, and hopefully, uh, we'll have other opportunities to meet you in the future as well, in different locations. Not bogs. Or any of those stick an electrical probe up a dead guy's butt live spectaculars. I feel like we can agree on that. Okay then. Aww. The box of oddities hits your phone twice a week. We will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2019, all rights reserved Hi, I'm Neil And I'm Ken And we are from the Triviality Podcast A pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.